0: Good to see you guys. If you guys have been uh, attending all of uh, the talks, um, congratulations. Um, you know, it's really a pleasure to have had five different talks. I had to cram all of this information into one talk last year. And so it's been uh, it's been really great to have the space to have everyone cover a different spot. We've heard a lot about uh, some domestic trafficking. Um, let see if I can... Well, I just have to hold it. I don't want to trip. Anyway, so we're... Uh, Today, uh, I'm going to discuss international uh, human trafficking. And just to give you a little background about uh, where I've been and, and uh, how I came to be here, is that I have spent—I'm a pediatrician, um, but I've spent the last 10 years on the field. I first started in Thailand, and I went to uh, Thai-Burma border. And so I went to work in a mission hospital on the border, and uh, I went. I was pretty naive when I first went there. It was uh, okay. It's Thailand. These aren't Thai patients. They're Burmese. And why are we saying all these Burmese? Why are they refugees? And uh, learning about the situation in Burma and all the and the government situation here. I'm gonna just try to figure out this cord situation. So then I was treating, learning about all of. So then I began to learn about migration, immigration, um, legal, illegal, and the people going back and forth. And so some of the people, I believe, had been trafficked. Um, This was back in 2000. I didn't know anything about trafficking in persons. It wasn't really being, I mean, it it, it was being talked about at the time when I go back and look at the literature, but I had had my head in the books in medical school and residency, and, and I really wasn't learned up on it. Um, but began to understand the situation uh, more when a colleague who was working in Bangkok, she was doing outreach to prostituted women in Bangkok, invited me down to start doing some health outreach and doing some clinics for her girls because it was difficult for them to get uh, good health care because they were discriminated against, they were afraid, they didn't want to go. They knew they had been doing some things that. You know their their activities in the in the flesh trade was harmful. They but a lot of people they don't really know, want to know the bad news about what they've been doing. And so began to understand the complexities of migration and prostitution and and trying to put it all together. When I moved to China, then I actively sought out areas to do some outreach and to be involved and began to teach myself, read books, give talks, do more research, um, give more talks and um, pretty soon began to, to develop more and more in this area and seek out opportunities and learning that healthcare care is a huge, huge need. And so now, I'm, my home base is still in China, um, but I'm doing a lot of consulting with organizations who are doing outreach um, to trafficked or potentially trafficked uh, people. Uh, some of them are working with uh, prostituted women Uh, Some are looking for uh, labor trafficking. Uh, Some, many of them may have a nurse or no health care personnel, but they're beginning to understand that when they're dealing with these people, they're having complex medical issues, and they're realizing that they need some help. And uh, so I've been, it's been my pleasure to come alongside those groups to help build their capacity to address the health consequences, which I talked about yesterday. Um, Also doing some, trying to develop some research and some protocols for treatment and development. Um, But today, I'm going to talk about mostly the international trafficking. And not just, we're going to go beyond, um, we're going to go beyond, just. I'm going to do some introduction, but we're going to touch on some topics of prostitution, migration, immigration, and some of the global trends that are happening today. Um, This is a quote, only when human sorrows are turned into a toy with glaring colors will people become interested, for a while at least. The righteous cry against the white slave traffic is such a toy. It serves to amuse the people for a little while, and it will help to create a few more fat political jobs. Parasites who stalk about the world as inspectors, investigators, detectives, and so forth. Ah, that's a pr- this was in 1910. Emma Goldman. If you look her up, she's an anarchist, feminist, real radical um, of her time. But this this quotation really hit home. You know, as as we are, there's tons and tons of awareness, lots of emotion in this in this very horrible situation that's happening all over the world. Lots of emotion, lots of horrible stories. I'm not diminishing the fact, but I want us to begin to understand the facts of what human trafficking really is and to move beyond there to really get some work done on it and not just be parasites, you know, not just to have a job to take care of something that everyone is caring about for a little while. I don't want this to be a fad. I don't want this to be a sexy hot topic of the early 21st century. It needs to be something that we're carrying on for years and years because it's not going to go away very soon. So definition, basically it's, we've heard this over and over again, force, fraud, or coercion. If you're under, according to the United States uh, law, if you're under 18, uh, you don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. Um, but trafficking is not smuggling. It's not the same thing. You do not. It often involves movement of people. Um, but you don't have to leave Louisville to be a trafficked person. You don't have to leave your home city or your state or your country. Okay, that's one thing that we have to understand, that it it often involves movement, but it is not necessarily in... It doesn't have to be... It's not in the definition. Um, Some people have actually consented to be moved or to be involved in the work. For example, a woman has consented to do prostitution. Well, then she finds herself in a traffic situation. It doesn't matter whether they initially consented to be involved. Once they are trafficked, they are trafficked and they are a victim. Okay? So we can't, because of their initial consent, we can't put any blame on them for the outcome. So, but... When we're talking internationally, you know, the United States has a definition, uh, the UN has a definition, they mostly agree, but it's not all the same. So it's, it's hard to, this quotation is, is extremely difficult to come up with a universal yardstick by which exploitation can be measured. Just how deceived a worker has to be about the nature and terms of the employment prior to migrating before he or she can properly be described as a victim of trafficking. And many work sites have different kinds of abuse and exploitation, but may not meet stricter definition of trafficking. But it's like a slave like condition. Um, it's because if, if you guys have done international work, you understand that people are willing what an American worker may think is a slave like condition is a regular way of life to some people. And so to and so we would a situation we would find intolerable is actually not as intolerable, but is it a slave-like condition? Are they trafficked? Um, because when we talk about trafficking, one of the things that I want to impress you is that we really want to move into uh, prevention. And prevention involves, um, involves education of people who are at risk, and we'll get to that later. But people can get, you'll hear news stories, there's, Uh, A trafficking case of some fishermen who were being enslaved on a fishing boat in waters between countries. I think it was off the east coast of Africa. Well, the boat came from somewhere. The people came from somewhere else. The traffickers were from a third place. Well, there's a bit of confusion about what to do about that (laughs) because these countries – um, not everyone has signed on to the U.N. protocol or um, the U.N. definition. And not all of them will agree that that's a trafficking situation. So this is, it's, it's complex. And individuals, people, are getting caught in the middle. Yeah, oh, I've messed up here. So there's forms of trafficking. Forced labor, debt bondage, sex trafficking. Um, when it involves children, there's child labor, there's child soldiers, child sex trafficking. It includes pornography. It includes strip. Um, like I said, with children, you don't have to, you don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. That's in the States. International, uh, you know, their definition of a minor or the age of emancipation is different. Um, So that's something that you have to know if you want to understand trafficking, if you're working in a country or going to um, do a short-term trip in a country. It's important to understand some of the legal definitions and some of the laws and protocols that they have in those those countries. Forced marriages, involuntary domestic service, or it may be voluntary, it turns involuntary. Who is at risk? Impoverished, of course. We're going to discuss some push-pull factors there. Migrants. Minority groups, uh, people with disabilities, um, high risk, uh, refugees, internally displaced people are so refugees within their own country. You've heard of uh, places like uh, Burma, where they have a couple million IDPs uh, just within their country. And also, you think of humanitarian crises. Uh, the first uh, people to to move in to a place like Haiti after the earthquake there Uh are pedophiles and people wanting to traffic uh, the children and uh, victims of armed conflicts, uh, people in tents, they're refugees, maybe temporary refugees. There are stages of trafficking um, and uh, for healthcare people it's, it's important to understand that there are health risks at each stage or pre-departure. Um, what is their situation? What makes them leave? What are their circumstances? There's travel and transit. There's a destination. Uh, this is where they are in the, the forced, uh, they're coerced part of their traffic situation. Then, if, if they're freed or found out, they're detained, they're deported. There's a criminalist investigation. Um, you know, you'd, you'd like it to have all a happy ending and things are taken care of in a nice, neat package, and and the law people know what they're doing and police are on agreement. But it's not always the case. Then there's an integration and reintegration stage. Well, do the victims stay where they are? Do they stay in the same city? Do they stay in that country? Or are they, do they want to go back? You know, Where do they want their, their new life? So a trafficked individual may not know or understand what trafficking is. They may have limited personal freedom. They're worried about legal status. Um, they may be moved. They're susceptible to penalties, fines, punishment by traffickers, and uh, they're also worried about the safety and well-being at home. You know, if a trafficker says, I know where you live. And uh, that's a, a very, very common way to keep a person within coercion. Well, the first main topic I want to talk about is trafficking and migration. And it's been said um, by a UN special reporter that traffickers fish in the stream of migration. It's important to understand that migration is not bad, <laughs> I'm a migrant. I migrated from the U.S. to China, Thailand and then to China. Um, migration is a way that people move about, and there's good reasons. There's bad reasons. But some people say, oh, well, if migration has gone well, it's legitimate. If migration is irregular or there's a poor outcome, it's trafficking. That's not necessarily the case, but it is important to understand that people in migration are at risk. But focusing on the movement of people or focusing on migration as a way to address or say that migration is a cause of human trafficking or it lends to it, um, I think that's gone too far. And I think that's, um, I think, well, I've said it diffuses the problem and it puts efforts in the wrong wrong direction. I think educating people who are likely to migrate um, about the risks and pitfalls and the ways that they could get caught and trapped is important. For example, going into uh, tribal villages, whether throughout Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, um, lots of poor people are wanting to move and to migrate to find a better life. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But I think it's important as, as you're working, maybe you're doing community development, maybe you're doing che in some villages, and your focus is not human trafficking. But I think it could be something that if you think about, if it's on your differential, and to think about, ah, these people might be migrating. Or if you're discovering, huh, there's a lot fewer women in this village than there was three years ago when I first started to come here. Maybe they're having a problem. Um, Maybe it's not trafficking, but maybe it is. And so just being aware of the problem, if there is a problem, and starting to educate them about it. Just incorporating a few questions. Um, Starting to, as we say in trafficking, look beneath the surface. Migration is not entirely, trafficking is not necessarily entirely a law enforcement issue. There are complex financial issues. I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial person. We talk about financial credit and ways that the poor are kept poor and the rich are kept rich and people are moving. Um I'm not fully competent in understanding all those uh, economic dynamics, but it does have an impact um, on how people migrate and if they can migrate safely. Talk about push-pull factors, okay? You're going to hear this a lot if you start reading up on this. There's ec- The pull is economic opportunities. There's places to work. There's jobs that Americans don't want, um, There's demand for cheap goods, or labor, sex, people willing to pay for it. There's migrant workers willing to take undesirable jobs. And there's push, such as poverty, or a humanitarian crisis. A drought makes people move. There's gender-based pressures, society, um, societal structures, or a woman's divorced, can't remarry. What does she do? Um, She's at risk. There's global economic policies. Like I said, there's Things that I don't quite fully grasp yet. Um, I have to spend way too much time reading medicine just to keep up there. But it's important to understand. And if you have a mind for economics, go for it. Understand that. And there's a, the force, fraud, or coercion within migration. Is that there's a threat of detention or deportation without compensation for wages earned is a powerful coercion tool. Um, when you look at legal sponsorship. Uh, systems like a guest worker, you know, a, a guest worker uh, system, and that countries have established. Um, there are loopholes um, where the traffickers can take advantage of to work within a legal system, but still have people trafficked. Uh, migrant, migrants end up having no real options, or they don't understand their legal rights. Um, there's contract fraud switching. Um, they can't read it because they're illiterate, or in the language or just illiterate period, um, or the contracts that they've signed are actually illegal within the host country. I mean, there are laws by which people can legally migrate and work in America or the U.K. or Australia, um, but, they've, but the people, the traffickers are duping uh, the, the migrants by having them sign an illegal contract, a contract that's illegal in their host country. So I told you the story about the illegal fishing. Um, they were actually the way this bust happened was that they were investigating illegal fishing off the coast, but then they found that all these uh, workers on the boats were traffic people. Well, then they were kind of stuck. The male prostitute trafficking ring broken. Uh, this is the first one in Spain, so it's not just women being being trafficked for the flesh trade; also males. And there's agricultural guest worker visa violations in the USA, just for some examples. Um, Trafficking in women, at least 56% of the world's uh, trafficking victims are women. 70% of migrating individuals from Indonesia are women. Okay, so that 70%, that's not, they're not being trafficked necessarily, but 70% of Indonesian individuals who are migrating are women. And so more and more people, including young women, are on the move at a time when changing patterns of production and consumption are in turn affecting demand for labor. Women are often disadvantaged due to lower economic and social status. Some laws punish would-be legitimate migrants, such as prohibiting women, single and or young, from immigrating. So there, there is actually laws, and oh, I forget that it's in my notes, but I didn't write it down. They don't really want women to migrate. So they're punishing women who want to migrate because they're, they're seeing, like, all their women leave. So they, want, they don't want to allow them to leave, but they're not necessarily making it favorable or help them to stay and live a better life where they are. And so the trafficking of girls and women often follows the same route as legitimate migration. Like I said... There's a wave of migration. Traffickers are just, you know, throwing their fishing poles out there and grabbing for bites, and they're getting a lot of hits, actually. So leading from women uh, to uh, women in trafficking leads to prostitution. As I said, it's not just women. Um, it also men and boys, um, of course girls, but women are by far um, the most affected in prostitution. Okay. Prostitution and trafficking are not the same thing. They are, inextric- they are inextricably, inextricably linked. Uh, it is not fair. It is not true to say that all prostitution is, is trafficking, according to international definitions. However, don't get me wrong. I am not pro-sex work. Um, but it's important to when you're when you're talking. As I often do with many secular uh, organizations, large and small, it's important that you have your language right. Um, however, I must note that there are some pro-sex work organizations that are—we're seeing this come up. They, more and more, they're they're coming up and joining trafficking uh, conferences, seminars. They're co-opting the the counter-trafficking movement to be pro-sex work. And they're saying, if we just legalize prostitution, if we just regulate the sex work, it will be safe. And we can regulate it, and the women will be protected. That is hogwash. There is not one shred of evidence to prove it. I've done a lot of reading. I cannot find anything that proves that. There's books on the demand, In fact, the Netherlands, which has legalized uh, prostitution, trafficking has risen exponentially because the, the traffickers are hiding behind the legal walls. It gives them a lot more freedom, a lot more space within which to work. There's a lot of back doors, a lot of loopholes when you legalize it. It does not reduce the violence to women. It does not, it does not, it does not. But we must be aware that the pro-sex work uh, movement is growing, or at least they're beginning louder. I don't know if they're really growing, but it's getting louder. And they're co-opting this issue for their own purposes. Um, they will accuse us, of course, of taking the trafficking movement and co-opting it for the counter-prostitution purposes, but I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> um, but they will come back. You know, They will, they will also say that. So prostitution, you know, a woman, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories, and a lot of the work that I do really is outreach to prostituted women. Now, they're not all technically trafficked, but I can't tell you how many women I've talked to that thought it was a good idea at the time um, because they wanted money, or they never thought it was a good idea at the time. But let me tell you, when you're in India, and you're married to a deadbeat husband, you've got a 15-month-old And another one on the way, he's a drunk. He sold your sewing machine for booze. Now, he's out of booze, and you're out of a sewing machine. You get paid half as much as a male for the same amount of work in the fields. She goes off and does sex work three nights a week in a nearby city. What kind of choice is that? Because she's got to feed her family and take care of their health care? Because, yeah, the health care... Just really is non-existent, or it's 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 not really as good as what they the country says. You know, there's a reality. Oh, we've got free healthcare, but you know, the healthcare it's free, but you get what you pay for, which is often nothing. So, what kind of a choice is that? And then those people are at risk for then becoming really trafficked, or they enter it, but then they get into debt, um, they start buying things, or they get addicted to drugs or whatever, and uh, they're really at work. So sex work, health, human rights, um, you know, it's, it's very, very complicated. But I encourage you to say it's not all that. And, it, you know, trafficking is not all these fantastic, you know, stories of, of kidnapping. And, and, I mean, it, it, that does happen. Um, but it's not necessarily happening like that. It's very very gray. If you've been working internationally at all you know that 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 you know working conditions or the prostitution or any of this is very very gray and the country's laws are very very gray and the situations are very very gray and it's and in the states it's easy to talk more in black and white because we have, little more definition to our laws, but most of the world does not. Um, I've talked about this. Prostitute women are not criminals, ever. Um, legalization won't legitimize them as people. And that's what they want. Sex workers want legitimization. Um, I have yet to meet someone in sex work who actually really liked it or actually wanted to keep in it. Um, there are perhaps some... Um, but I'm not necessarily working with those, the poor and the destitute, and the ones who absolutely need to do it to keep them and their families alive. And then, of course, there's the child uh, sex trafficking. Um, they're never, never criminals. So, health and human trafficking, um, we've been talking about that, but since we're, most of us are healthcare professionals, um, there's just an increased uh, recognition. Uh, of the need for informed health care in all stages of trafficking, um, in all aspects of the trafficking process, and increasing involvement among professionals such as you, which is why now we have five talks on human trafficking at this conference, which is pretty amazing. Um, but like HIV has been really huge, it still is huge. It's not just the problem. It's HIV, human trafficking, all these majors, you know, even malaria, it's not an isolated health issue. It's a community issue. It's a societal issue. It's getting, it's, getting, it's getting poor people less poor. It's giving them options. It's giving them rights. It's giving them water. <laughs> it's, it's, it's giving them Jesus. It's giving them a holistic view of them as whole people. And, and, and that they are children of the king, okay? And so when you think about human trafficking, oh, when I focus on human trafficking, I wanna do work in human trafficking. Great! Go do an outreach at your pregnancy crisis center. <laughs> Great! You wanna be involved in human trafficking? Reach out to runaway teens. Great! You wanna be involved in human trafficking? Go and start doing CHE and community health development in your villages. I think it's all linked and then being aware of the issues of international uh, trafficking in people and educating yourself. Maybe you don't have to just be, say, oh, I'm going to work in that. Well, you know, if you are doing any kind of work in the community, you already are. You just need to know more about it to make yourself more effective to combat it more specifically. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, great. Give me a soapbox. All right, demand. Ooh. Demand is also one thing that's also coming up. Uh, Shared Hope International has a program to uh, address demand and work among men. I don't know much about it, um, but I know uh, uh, Linda Smith, former congresswoman from Washington State. Her husband, uh, I don't know, starts Mr. Smith, anyway, has started this through Shared Hope International, a great, inter- uh, great um, resource there, and, um, no one says, I'm going to take advantage of a slave today. Um, the men, I mean, there's men who actually think that they're helping their prostitute, you know, they're helping them not get beat so much if they if they, um, if, if they take advantage of their services. They, there's people who actually think that. But there's actually quite a few men who actually wouldn't go to a prostitute if they knew she was trafficked. There's a very interesting book called Focus on... It's. Uh, on the Doctors at War website, there's, um, if not already, there will be very soon a list of resources, and it's a book um, that's called Focus on Clients, and it's about the demand. Um, take a long time reading it. It, was, it made me very sick um, <laughs> to read it, but it was very interesting on the issues of guys and why they're going to these uh, women. So there's lifestyle, there's cultural perspective. Uh, Dr. Barrows gave a very good uh, talk yesterday on how to become an abolitionist, and it had a lot to do with our treatment of our young people and our cultural perspective and our lifestyles. Um, Very, very good talk. So some other global trends. There's increasingly female percentage of trafficked victims. I think because there's increasingly um, greater percentage of women who are migrating. Increasing attention to corporate accountability. You know, we're talking about fair trade, uh, signing legal agreements, uh, California passed a law in uh, transparency and where they get their products. There's uh, more interest in research. University of Michigan just opened uh, a a counter-trafficking clinic in Mexico and in Ann Arbor. In law, medicine, social science, uh, there's more call for research, very little research. Research is actually difficult to do. These people are hard to find. They're hard to work with, and it costs a lot of money, and there's IRBs and all these things, and it's a little complicated. But there's an increasing uh, call, a demand, and a willingness to fund research projects, which is very, very good. There's more interest and involvement by health professionals, um, increasing number of laws that address demand in John's, and recognizing the inequality of the business of buying sex. For example, Sweden. Sweden has passed a law that makes it illegal to buy sex. They're like, this is a business transaction that's not fair. Their trafficking statistics have gone down, as opposed to the Netherlands, which has gone up. Sweden is a very, very good model to, to look at, as well as some other countries that have started to to uh, pass some very uh, good laws. Netherlands may be looking at changing their position on that. There's an increasing amount of information, organization, awareness campaigns, blogs, 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 blogs about human trafficking, which is great. Um, but there are some gaps. Um, we're still having trouble in identifying uh, traffickers and victims. Uh, That, I think, will get better Uh, the more research we do, the more awareness there is, the more it gets up on your differential um, when you're uh, looking at people. Um, Aftercare is a huge, huge problem uh, the world over, huge problem in in the States when Dr. Barrow said, as far as um, aftercare facilities for minors who are affected by trafficking, there's only four in the United States. Um, Jeff's will be five when he gets open. Um, But there's also gaps in law enforcement, understanding about how to handle people, um, what to do with them, where to put them. They don't always fit in a domestic violence center. They don't always uh, fit in a homeless shelter. They don't always fit somewhere because of the chronic trauma that they've been suffering. And we need special health care mental health care social workers blah 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 I don't can't begin to tell you the problems that exist in developing countries. Uh, there's uh, protection laws for migrant workers um, that just more not necessarily to limit migration but to ensure that they're migrating more safely and things are more transparent for them. Uh, there need more research across all the disciplines to address activist concerns um, and develop effective and informed intervention such as evidence-based medicine. When I say activist concerns, you know, when the problem with the definition is that when you get a bunch of people, you know, in a trafficking coalition, everyone thinks the solution to counter-trafficking has to do with whatever they're interested in, whether it's gender or it's migration or it's health or it's law. Everyone wants to silo the trafficking problem into their particular specialty. Well, I mean, I get that. Um, but to understand that we all need to work together, that the lawyers and doctors actually have to work together. And I think this is something that maybe we can start to build a coalition on this because there can't be any argument that this is a bad thing. Perhaps there could be uh, a foundation to start uh, working together. So uh, we're going to have lots of time for questions, which is great. But. I'm going to talk about some heroes and saints. Saint Josephine Bakhita. Uh, you may or may not heard of her. Her feast day is on February 8th, I believe. She's the first Sudanese uh, person to be canonized as a saint. Um, she was also an ex-slave. She was trafficked when she was young as a domestic servant for an Italian family. They took her to Italy. She found faith um, in Catholicism. And when the family wanted to move back or move somewhere, she didn't want to go. And so she ran away to a convent, and then she discovered, huh, she actually wasn't really working for them legally, so she, didn't have to, she wasn't compelled to leave with this family when they wanted to traffic her back or traffic her somewhere else. So um, there is a movement to recognize her as a patron saint of trafficked people because she was not only an ex-slave, but she also became a nun. That's a picture of her there. St. Peter Claver, she, he's a Spanish Jesuit. He, in, in Cartagena, which is now uh, part of Colombia, he would go to the slave ships and just minister to the slaves in the hold of the ships before they were, before they were let off and, and dress their wounds, um, give them water, food, pray for them, if they were, give them last rites um, if they were dying from the trip over. Uh, he was actually, he was actually not well liked among other uh, Jesuits. They thought he, you know, it was kind of pointless. And, and uh, you know, he was very, very passionate about this. And I think he kind of wore on his um, companions. But anyway, he was awarded uh, sainthood. John Woolman, a leader of American abolitionist movement, a Quaker, and a peacemaker. He actually, I. You know I, I find no other record of him but he was actually like um, Wilberforce who's who was very um, who was very adamant about now buying sugar and goods um, from slave trade in in Britain he was doing the same thing in America and and he wouldn't even eat at people's houses if they had slaves um, and so you know or if he would try to pay them back or people, he wouldn't accept anything. He was, he was very, very uh, strict about what he would accept and where he would go to eat. William Wilberforce, we've heard of him. If you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, go see it tonight. You must see it. It is amazing. Um, of course, he's uh, one of my heroes. He was a Christian philanthropist. And just if you read, if you Wikipedia him and just read about his life, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty amazing. Jane Addams, if you've heard of her, Uh, she wasn't, she's not anti-trafficking specifically, um, but uh, she started Whole House in Chicago, the first settlement movement. She just worked for the poor. She worked for the rights of the poor. She worked for um, health, um, safe working conditions of immigrants, migrants. And I just think, you know, someone like her uh, is just, a good example for us in, in holistic care of, of uh, people. She, won, she was the first American woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1931. She also has a quite interesting life, if you Wikipedia her. Um, but we're talking about what to do, how we deal with this. The root causes, As I've, the familiar remedies of food, shelter, schools, and medicine are urgent, but they do not address the root cause of aggressive violence that manifests itself in slavery. Indefensible abuse of the vulnerable by the more powerful, addressing this issue will require a systemic and sustained commitment to effective public justice systems that protect the global poor. This is Gary Haugen, um, founder, president of International Justice Mission. He wrote a book called Good News About Injustice. I think a copyright around 1996. Um, Go and Watch uh, Amazing Grace and get his book and read it. It's a good foundation just about um, the Christian movement for justice. But just, you know, as we're doing community development and we're meeting people's physical needs, which is absolutely very important, also addressing the root causes of humanity and the problems of humanity, the sin and the lies that people will tell about each other, and about themselves, the lies that they're believing, and the lies that they want other people to believe, that they have no worth. But we carry the message of Jesus Christ, his love and acceptance of all people. And so that is really going to be what, what, what brings human slavery down, or we can try to chip away at it as long as we're here on this earth. So getting involved, um, as I said before, let's, uh, you know, I think awareness is, is a good thing. I think we do all need to be a part of it. I think letting people know just what trafficking is, not like the sensational story of, of, of people, because people, I think that gives a false impression about what trafficking is, and they don't understand that, you know, the sensational story of a, of a, of a kidnapped and raped teen. I mean, that does happen. It's horrible. It happens all too often. But there's also slaves next door living. You know, what appears, if you don't um, really understand the issue, I think you're going to miss a lot of people. Um, I'm also tired of movie stars making movies about themselves against trafficking and not, <laughs> doing, not, giving, not doing a whole lot more uh, for the effort, like giving some of their money um, <laughs> towards the effort. Become an active abolitionist. Um, understand like, oh yeah, fair trade's a good thing. But actually, like educating yourself about what it really means and how you go about becoming a conscious consumer. Um, I'm not going to go through all that. I'm going to leave a few questions. We have about 10 minutes for uh, questions. There is, um, That's the uh, website for... There's a, I've, I've put together a resource list of books, movies, instruction manuals, um, such as this one uh, Caring for Trafficked Persons, one of the first ever publications for healthcare providers. I was uh, privileged to be a part of the expert community that put this together by UN Gift and International Organization for Migration. It's a brief. Um, it doesn't go into a lot of detail, a lot of action points. It's designed to be used around the world. It unfortunately uh, it's only in English at the moment. Um, I think UN Gift is looking for money to start publishing this. It's meant to be as a, as a starting point and a platform for healthcare professionals who want to who want to know more about a healthcare professional can care for a trafficked person and how to identify and what you do and so forth. Um, This is a free download. Um, This is Caring for Trafficked Persons Guidance for Health Providers. There's a link uh, to the free... It's a PDF format, free download on the Internet at the website IOM, International Organization for Migration. Um, If you... I don't have handouts. Um, Everyone's, like, got iPhones these days, so why bother with paper? So... Anyway, that's my email. Um, there's just a walk at, at WordPress.com. Um, that's a blog. It's not specific to human trafficking. It's just my blog, in case you're interested. Um, so yeah, I can entertain some questions. I, there's just a. There's not very much time left in the conference, but get in touch with me. Um, like I said, I uh, have been doing this internationally for uh, a few years. Hopefully, I can answer some questions. Yes. Yes. To reach the trafficker specifically, and not the victims. Um, that depends on the country. I think there are, there are, different countries are at different stages of of prosecution, uh, legal platforms. Unfortunately, it's 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 very difficult to reach them. But it depends on the country. Like U.S. is is moving forward, but our laws are still quite embryonic. I think the United uh, Kingdom are is is more aware. I think it's making the legal structure to be able to catch them and training law enforcement to, be, to identify. I think, um, you know, after Cambodia's been notorious uh, for the trafficking of children for uh, sex, commercial sex work, and they've made great strides in the last few years to train their law enforcement to catch the traffickers. Other countries, not so much. I think it's very country-specific uh, there's guidelines and help from the United Nations, but it's up to a country's political will to actually do something about it. Yes? I have some friends who are very um, pro-legalizing uh, prostitution, and it's hard to kind of understand how to defend my position of being against it. And I was just wondering if you had any features, especially in the moment of human Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, well... I mean, that's a whole, that's a very big talk. But there's a, I don't know if I put it on the website. If, write this down, the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, C-A-T-W, they're very um, anti-prostitution, and they've published uh, some research. they published studies. People have written essays on why uh, prostitution is a bad idea. And also, there's... Um, if you look at, uh, um, I'm blanking. On that, on on my resource on my resource sheet, there's also some some on. But if you go to Coalition Against Trafficking Women, they will have lots of other resources too. Um, but Shared Hope International, um, a lot of the other websites will say, ah, this is there's there's just no evidence to say. Also, the Demand Book. Um, has has published um, some documentation about... I mean, it's not... It's more objective. They're not editorializing like prostitution is bad. They're just documenting the fact that well, the police are complaining that since it's all legal, they have no prerogative to go into establishments and look for the perpetrators who are breaking the legal laws of prostitution. So... They're, they're not saying, well, therefore, we should ban prostitution. They're just saying the police are complaining that they can't bust the bad guys as easily as they used to. Um, yeah, another question? Yes. Can you comment on the economic factors of the issue poverty and what's being addressed in that area the cause of these women being available to be trapped in the state? Well... The economic factors specifically? It's what's being done? Or are you aware of progress? So in powering, powering women, powering, oh. the Oh, for sure. And I think it's just through I, – I think it, it really is, is specific to the countries or specific to the areas. But people really are, as they're trying to provide healthy uh, ways for women especially – Um, such as microfinance, okay? I want to say that microfinance is a tool. It's one component. But, for example, when I was in India, I met uh, a bunch of women. I was doing some focus groups with people who are in microfinance groups. It took them still at at least three years of being three years of microfinance or microcredit cycles to be able to leave the sex work. It's not that, I mean, sometimes it's just they they couldn't make enough money until for three years, it took them three years to get on their feet. But it was also an issue of their identity and the fact that with the microfinance they were making money, but they were still making even more money with the flesh trade. And so it just wasn't a purely economic factor. But I think it also had to do with an emotional and identity and with their lives that, well, they didn't like it, but the money was still good. And so it wasn't that it became no longer that they absolutely needed the money, but it also became that the money was really good. And why not just do it? I mean, they've been doing it for what good is it? I've already been destroying myself. (coughs) Sorry. I've already been destroying myself. Why not do it? A little longer. Excuse me. So there are some outreach to villages. There's also outreach to educate uh, families and women about uh, the methods that recruiters do to get uh, women and and girls and boys out of their villages. Next question. Netherlands, I think Australia. If I think I know, there's parts of Australia um, have legalized it. I mean, parts of the U.S. have have legalized it. Um, It doesn't help. Sweden is the one that has not only made it illegal, but it's just illegal to buy sex, not necessarily to sell it. Yes. Sure. Uh, so I didn't know if you brought up sports at all, but, but just one of those FYI Oh yeah, for sure. She she was just making a comment that huge sporting events are are big magnets for sex traffickers and and I know at the the um World Cup in Berlin in two thousand six in South Africa they're still, you know, figuring that out, but in Berlin for sure. I mean women were being brought in from every country, so whatever your preference, it was they were sure to have it. So they wouldn't want anyone to go away unsatisfied. I mean it was sick. Yes. Well he could have tried to contact a consulate. I mean you're talking about a situation where some people were stranded, they bought into an ad, they were stranded at the airport and they were running out of money and they had no place to go. I mean, it's just a matter of, um, of contacting a consulate. You can just start by contacting the USA consulate and saying, okay, there's a situation. Does this sound fishy to you? And then they can start contacting the other people. Let me tell you a situation. In, I live in China. I know. We're over time. I'll just tell this story. If you want to leave, go ahead. I'm just going to tell this story about people who are stranded. There was a China girl. I got a call. Someone said, hey, can you help? There's a China girl in Austria. Um, She was, it sounded like a suspicious story for trafficking. She was trapped in Austria, but China wouldn't let her in because she had no papers, okay? So these, these people, if they're moved internationally, they're stuck. She runs away. She goes to the China consulate. They're like, who are you? You know, you have no papers, so you're not one of us. We don't have to take care of you when we won't take care of you. Or something like that. And she's stuck trying to get her because she didn't have papers. And, and the people, and because there's not a law or a format or a protocol for a consulate worker to follow, well then they can't do anything. Or they won't. Or whatever. And so this happens. Oh, another thing about China is that I see, I just, there's a report. In about 15 months time, China rescued Over 16,000 women and children from human trafficking. 16,000 in a 15-month period, and they arrested more than 10,000 perps. Well, remember when I said about the laws of human trafficking being different in, in other countries? Well, China's laws about just about everything are so purposely vague that they can call. It seems like they can just call whatever they want, human trafficking. They don't have to report. It's just all their report is just a paragraph. They don't, bus, they don't say where or from where. Most of it's domestic. Um, most of the trafficking in China are Chinese people being trafficked. But 16,000, I mean, it, it just makes them look really good. But then I'm just wondering what's happening to those people. Where are they going? Where are they coming from? What happens to them? And what is it that they're actually calling uh, human trafficking? I have a friend who's a lawyer. She can't figure it out either, so... Just so you're aware, (laughs) seriously. Well, it also helps. It also works in their favor that they can bust a lot of people, but they can also hold a lot of people for um, being a danger to the state. That's all they need to know. To that's all they need to say to withhold people. Say the Nobel Peace Prize winner. But hopefully this won't be webcast. I want to go back and get my stuff. But um, anyway, thank you for coming. I'm over time, but there's no other talk, so thank you very much.